0: Welcome to SEEDS, a show where we talk about purpose with inspiring people making a positive impact with their lives. We are particularly interested in social enterprises and entrepreneurs. We will listen to them reflect on their journeys and take time to dig deeper in order to better understand what really motivates their choices. Well hey everyone, welcome along to the show. I'm glad you could join me as today we get to speak with Ian Harvey, who's the founder of Collective Intelligence. His inspiration for setting this up stemmed from his observation as a company director that key staff were often not supported as individuals to develop their own potential. Harve started Collective Intelligence as the first facilitator 11 years ago, and his role now is to oversee the teams, recruit new members, and keep developing this unique concept, which we're going to find out a lot about in this interview. His vision is actually to develop a professional community in New Zealand that supports its members to achieve their potential. And in this interview, we talk about that initiative, but we also go into a number of different rabbit holes, including the implications that came from having hearing difficulties. His first real job is a shepherd, working with dogs and mustering sheep. And we have a fascinating little jump into the topic of body language and how we communicate without using words. Here's an excerpt from our conversation.
1: And I went to this woman's business and I said, so what are we going to look at, you know? And she said, well, have what's it all about? And I said, what's what all about? She said, well, life. I went, what? <laughs> and she said, I'm 55. I've got to where I want to go and it sucks. Hmm. I said, does it? She goes, yeah, I want, to, I want to look at that. I want to look at where my life's going. Wow. And I went... Oh, So I actually got a proper facilitator in to help me that day. Uh, and uh, she came in, and we went to places we'd never been before. Mm. And the group never looked back and they never and we realized that there were two parts. There was the numbers, mm. and then there was the real stuff which was always my interest anyway. That's the irony. I just didn't know how to get there.
2: Right.
1: Which was the pastoral care and the the human being. Mm. And it was this woman who I'll be eternally grateful for had the guts to put up a hand and go, Mm. we need to go here. I want to go there.
0: Well, this is one of those wide-ranging interviews which goes in so many different directions that I know you're going to enjoy it. And because it's quite a long one, we're just going to get straight into that conversation. But if you do enjoy this, then consider checking out the more than 100 other episodes with inspiring people throughout New Zealand doing amazing things with their lives. Now let's get into this conversation with Harv. All right, so it's a pleasure to welcome Ian Harvey, also known as Harv, from Collective Intelligence. Thanks for joining me
1: pleasure great to be here
0: it's great to have you and i think we connected up at the social enterprise Unconference, conference didn't we In live in a couple was, months uh, ago
1: a few months ago when the sun was shining and on the morai there it was fabulous
0: yeah it was and it's it's cool to see little ripples that flow from events like that because at the time you're not sure why am i here what am i gonna who am i gonna meet and then Now, here we are a couple months later and doing a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So, as you know, on this show, what we try to do is really go a bit deeper with people, get under the surface of why they're doing what they do. And in order to tell someone's story, rather than just asking you, what are you doing right now? I find it's helpful to go back and look at the history of the person and really set the scene and the context of where they're from. So, the opening question is is, uh, simply where are you from and tell us a bit about your background and going right back to the beginning as well like so (laughs) i
1: i i very nearly had a a very normal sort of a upbringing so i was born behind a thing called the Mangatonoka brewery or the tui brewery uh, on the north island and uh, i grew up with this the 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 famous tower there that my uh, great-grandfather actually built right Uh, and the far the family uh, owned that brewery for about sixty years, and I grew up within two hundred meters of that uh, uh, of the tower and It was a very colorful upbringing with uh, brewers from around the world and uh, uh, It was a most unusual uh, in that respect because it was in the middle of rural New Zealand with farms and so forth, mm. and um, we were involved with brewing so that was um, that was a, a, an interesting uh, mix of people and Uh, We had lots of European and and, uh, English brewers and so forth coming through, which was really cool.
0: Yeah. And what was it like? I want to talk about that, but before we do that, just to grow up in a place where you're was it your great-grandfather or your – Great-grandfather
1: bought the brewery out of receivership in 1903. Right. And, uh, yeah.
0: So I guess the question is to grow up in a a place that's so – part of your family, <laughs> what was that like? You had a sense of that history, I guess.
1: It was kind of cool. It was also suffocating right? because you were always somebody's son, grandson or great-grandson. Right. So the family were uh, very well known in the area. And, uh, you know, as a kid it was fine. But mm. as I grew up it was just, it became claustrophobic. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, the brewery had a really interesting History, it was hugely successful uh, in the up to about 1930s, mm-hmm. and from then it sort of slid from there uh, for a number of reasons. The family weren't operating, the The two sons, grands, or well, sons of, of my great grandfather um, were killed in World War I. Uh And yeah, so the, the whole history of the thing slid at that point. Mm. But there was an interesting piece I found recently which is kind of interesting from where I am now. The tower that was built there was built during the Depression mm. and I only found that out or twigged recently and it was built by local labourers. So Fletcher's designed it and was supposed to build it uh, and then uh, the family decided no, they would go ahead and build it even though the, the Depression was was happening Mm. and they used local labour and it took about three years to build it Mm. with hundreds of people Mm. and uh, I'm immensely proud of that fact and i only learnt that in the last five years Mm. and it's something that's been totally overlooked Mm. Uh, and I go that's cool you know because they were were successful business people uh, and to think that they did that yeah and to find that out only recently mm. was very, very cool. Because mm.
0: mm. the context at that time, those were hard years, yeah, weren't they? Absolutely. I mean, so um, to, to have that, looking how can we support the local, and,
1: and it, it involved you know hundreds of people building it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, and looking at you know it'd be interested to know what the impact of the local economy, but certainly morale wise it made a big impact yeah Uh, so i'd always had the the i always knew about the brewery and so forth and and uh that part of it from a a business point of view Mm -hmm. but this social uh impact uh that's kind of cool yeah Yeah, and really surprising that is Mm.
0: yeah yeah that's fascinating and just um talk to us a little bit about the growing up in that i guess the (laughs) The brewery culture, if you like. You, you mentioned you had lots of visitors coming through. Yeah, and like. yeah
1: so we look, we had uh, we we had Lord Moyne come and stay. Uh, uh, he was out. He was a uh, one of the head guys from Guinness. So we were we actually got the license to to brew Guinness Beer in about 1965, and uh, I remember him coming out and staying, and it was, uh, you know, it was a big deal. So all sorts of uh, wonderful things like that, and we had a wonderful Scottish brewer, Ronnie Stocking, came out, and, and so it was very rich in that respect, mm-hmm. um, and I'd have to say my first 10 years of my... Childhood were magnificent. And we lived on the banks of the Mankinoka River. Uh, family around, it was all going great. Mm. Uh, and, and then in June... And,
0: and at that point, like growing up as a child, where you're surrounded by a family business, I guess, like is there an expectation that one day you'll be here to son type of thing? Or No,
1: no, because, it, well, it was interesting. We lived on a small farm of a few hundred acres behind there. My father's right. health was very poor so he was uh an epileptic and in those days he didn't talk about that he couldn't go to war uh, and uh, his health was very poor and he also then developed asthma mm-hmm. uh, and so by that stage by the time i came along the brewery was very much in decline right and uh, in fact by the time uh, the family had Sold off its shares, it was basically bankrupt because the two big breweries, DB and New Zealand Breweries, mm. had gone through and bought all the pubs in New Zealand, uh-huh. and so there was no outlet for the for the beer, mm. uh, and we eventually sold to DB. So I see. there was never there was a there was lots of social interaction, but not so much the business that had mm. that had peaked, that had been and gone. Yeah, uh, the family had, the succession plan and so forth with the brewery had fallen apart, right. uh, and uh yeah, so all that had disintegrated, and the reinvestment in the brewery mm. had stopped initially in about nineteen forties I see yeah okay, yeah. so that had been in decline since so it was then. kind of
0: a legacy thing that yes that it was and <laughs> was it was so
1: and the impact on cipher was still there the, yeah. the having that uh, having that, that sitting what's the word uh having that that tower there and still making great beer in those Mm, days mm. um yes it was still very much part of our lives Mm. yeah
0: the fascinating thing just to pick up on one thing you mentioned some of the sons had gone away to war and never returned like sometimes i think we gloss over the fact you know the the impact that it has on a family and on so much more than than you think at the time um you know the flow on effect of these young men who've gone off and and never came home right and it amazes me when we drive around New Zealand and you, you stop in a little town and there will usually be a plaque or something to all of the people who didn't return. And very often, there will be two or three names that are the same. Yeah. And you realize that's two or three brothers yeah. who never came home. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's very sad. And,
1: and, and you know, it's interesting, Stephen. I only, I only, I only thought there was one. Uh, right. brother had right, so I didn't know there were two of them right. because my great grandfather was called Henry Cowan and he called both his sons Henry Cowan uh-huh. <laughs> so and uh, <laughs> it's one a, was, good name. It was a good solid name <laughs> you can <laughs> both have it <laughs> and and it was um, you know he, he'd sort of switched them around yeah. uh, one was the second name but the, okay. and, and we, I wasn't aware of uh, the older brother who was in the regular army uh-huh. uh, and till 10 years ago so that was that was kind of cool yeah uh but yeah that had a huge impact on on i can see where the family would have uh ended up so all that was left was my grandmother and that family Mm -hmm. and uh uh yeah the impetus you know sort of started to fall away
2: Mm -hmm. uh, from that yeah Yeah.
0: well sorry to have been i love these interviews because we go down little rabbit holes you see but um Coming back to you, you said up till 10 years old. It was quite an idyllic childhood. And then what was changing or happening? Uh, Well, look,
1: it was uh, was going... Two things happened in that year. Mm -hmm. Uh, In June of that year, we got a phone call on a... uh, I think it was a Tuesday night. uh, And it was from the police to looking for my cousin. Uh, And uh, that was... Uh, Our lives changed forever at that point and that was the beginning of the crew murders which uh, a lot of people won't remember but uh, it was our largest uh, murder case in New Zealand's history so Harvey and Jeanette crew were murdered in their home uh, and my cousin uh, Rochelle was was left in the house Uh, and that turned everything upside down because uh, it was... Um, You know, it was never solved. It was in the news for seven years, Mm. uh, every week, every day. Uh, And it tore the family apart Mm. because uh, Harvey Crew was my first cousin uh, and his father was dead. uh, And our family became very, very involved in it. Mm. So uh, there were two... Uh, major court cases and it then became known as the Arthur Allen Thomas case. Mm. Um, and just the whole fabric of the family was pulled apart, right. uh, at that stage. And that took 10 years to get through. So wow. everything changed. Yeah. Uh, I was the youngest of three kids. I had a two sisters, one 10 years older than me, one six years older. Mm. Uh, they had left or were leaving home and my parents were, uh, Older parents, mm. and so I was left behind in a family that was struggling. Mm. Uh, my father was began drinking heavily. Uh, my mother was depressed, uh, and mm. uh, and the other thing that that they found out that year that uh, I was actually deaf. So uh, they up until that stage at school I was just slow. I I. Uh, Was had trouble learning, Mm -hmm. and uh, they hadn't realised that I'd been born with uh, a hearing defect. Right. So.
0: So there's a lot of things going on there. There was a lot of things going on. (laughs) So up until then, I'd
1: just been dumb, and then I was deaf and dumb. So sort of. But it was, um, uh, and a couple, you know, some interesting things came from that. That uh, uh, so that was 1970. I was 10 years old, uh, and my. Older sister, by the time I was uh, about turned 13, Mm. uh, she wanted me to go away to school uh, to get me away from the family. Right. Uh, And she said, this is just such a toxic environment. Um, And a lot of people won't remember, but there was, uh, you know, this case went on for a long time. Uh, The police were also corrupt at that stage with planting evidence, which was found out later in a a, um, Royal Mm. Commission of Inquiry. There was a lot of... Tension within the family because trying to work out who did it. Right. Uh, and so there were divisions and different, um, uh, what's the word, uh, different analogies and, you know, what might have happened. Right. So it was something we lived with on as a constant. Mm. So my older sister, Jude, who was away from home, wanted me to go away from school, to mm. school. And so uh, three months before school started, I was sent to, found out that I was going to a small School hour and a half away that I'd never heard of. Uh, we were not a wealthy family. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd come from a wealthy background, but that had all slipped. Right. So going to a uh, a boarding school was a big deal, mm-hmm. uh, and the family didn't really have the funds to do that. And but it got me out of that environment, mm-hmm. which I'll be eternally thankful for. Mm. Uh, and
0: is that because the 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 court case and the and the media and everything. It was just dominating everyone's thoughts. It, it, and
1: it just it just went... It permitted everywhere. Right. Uh, we had got... or well, my cousin had got custody of Rochelle. Okay. Uh, and that didn't go well. Uh, uh, there was uh, a lot of mental health issues as a result. Um, lots of depression. Mm. Um, and it was just something you could not... You just couldn't get away from it, uh, mm. and it just hung over everything. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, getting out of that environment was was fabulous, although quite a shock to the system. Mm. Going to school, I didn't know anybody. Yeah. And they were from a different sort of socio-economic background mm-hmm. to what I was used to as well, and that was um, that took a bit of adjustment. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: where had the funds come from to send you to the uh, school? My mother
1: went back teaching. Ah, yeah. I see. So. um
0: uh so she knew it was important
1: yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She 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 went back primary school teaching. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, cuz the farm was small my father's health wasn't well and uh, and you know what that was great for her as well because mm, got uh, her out into different environments as well. Yeah, yeah, and it helped her mental health hugely. Yeah. Um and it was uh yeah, and look, where, where, where it was, without sort of going into it too much, but it was where it was difficult for me was that uh, most of my schoolmates would go off on holidays and they'd go skiing and so forth, and I'd go, uh, I'd go home and I'd work in shearing gangs. Right. Uh, awesome. So it was quite, quite a different sort of a background in that yeah. respect. Um, And that was okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And just talk us through, like, in your teenage years, high school years, like, did you have a plan? Did you know what you wanted to do with your life, that type of thing? I
1: wanted to hide. Right. So I went to school to hide. Yeah. Uh, And uh, nobody knew about the murder case. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, I still found uh, school really difficult, Mm -hmm. Uh, hearing loss, Uh, I got hearing aids when I was 32, and they then had hearing aids that could help my hearing. Right. So, you know, the plan was I was supposed to sit in the front of the class
2: Mm
1: -hmm. and so I could hear the teacher. But when you're sitting at the front of the class, you don't know what's going on behind you. Mm. So as a deaf person, uh, so I became very good at at observing people, Mm. uh, and you... Uh, And that became really important later in life. Mm. So I can study a crowd now and know what's going on Mm. without, and I can see things that other people can't see. Right. So sitting at the front of a class when you're deaf sounds good, but it's terrifying because you don't know what your mates are doing behind you. I see. So I just gravitated to the back of the room, sat there, didn't really learn anything, and uh, uh, had fun with my mates.
0: Yeah. So, I'd love to you just mentioned something which is truly fascinating, which is observing people mm-hmm. and just talk us through a little bit about that because i I hear what you're saying like I think it's a hugely under underdeveloped skill that people have you know we we take people at face value we don't think about well, what's the subtleties that are going on here in terms of body language in terms of you know the way that they're interacting and things. What, what does that look like for you then in terms of observing and what do you mean by that
1: so I, so now in my, in my current life um, where I I don't do it so much now but facilitating a group of people mm-hmm. um, I can tell when somebody wants to ask a question right? and I'll see them I'll see them move or something it's it's right it's, so a it's subtle body cues it's, and yeah just, it's just and and you know and other people won't see it Mm-hmm. And I'll point to someone and go, "You, you've got a question." And sometimes they're surprised, mm-hmm. and they go, "What?" And I said, "You had a question."
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: said a minute ago, "You're going to ask a question. What is that?" Right. And they go, "Ah, oh, um, yes, okay." And it's, uh, and you'll also see the interplay between people. Right. So you'll see the dynamics between people, and you'll see where uh, people are gelling, where people aren't gelling, uh, where people's hackles are going up. Mm-hmm. Uh, And all that sort of interplay, because certainly as a teenager going through school, that's survival. Mm. When you can't hear,
2: Mm.
1: that's a survival mechanism. What is going on here? Yeah. And how do I stay safe?
2: What are the
0: social cues? And what are are the social (laughs) cues? Yeah. And who
1: do I align with? Mm. Right? All those sorts of things. Yeah. And that's going on all the time. And it becomes very, very uh, uh, developed Mm. and and you know the thing with when you when you can't hear you know even now with hearing aids i can pick up eighty eighty five 85 percent of what most people can pick up right uh i love music i can't hear the words right uh, so uh yeah so things like that yeah there's, there's you miss a lot
0: yeah and in terms of the um the observing and the link lang- the language of body language you know What is it that you're noticing or seeing in people? Or is it so ingrained that it's difficult to even explain? No,
1: it is a little bit. It is a little bit. But I don't think a lot of people know what they're giving off. Yeah. Because the reason
0: I ask is whether this is a skill that other people could learn, you know, that that it's something that we can be more aware of. Um, And what is it that people should be looking for?
1: I think they need to just pay attention. Right. Right. So... The irony of this, I'm not a great listener. Right. (laughs) Right? So even when I can hear, I'm not a great listener. Right. Uh, And I think it's partly maybe I'm lazy in that respect, but also I I am more interested in what's going on Mm. between – because I think we give off all sorts of signals Mm. that we're not even aware of, right? And – and I've spent my life observing those. Yeah.
0: Well, I I hear you and I agree completely cuz when I was 21 I moved to Japan. So I was in a completely different culture. Yep. And I noticed that the way people reacted or the way that even the way that they position their heads if they're curious, they'll kind of put it to the side, you know, like uh, uh, but in a not a western way, you know. Yes. So it was it was very much like learning a language of Oh, okay, you are shy, you know, you don't know what to say, you are, you know, you're about to interrupt, you know, like it was trying to learn, it really was like trying to learn another language, yeah. as well as the kanji and the actual <laughs> different language. It was the, the subtleties of the way that the cultural expressions as well.
1: And look, with the Japanese, that would be even more subtle because they're mm. very subtle people. Mm. Yeah, so yeah. that would be... But i think so going back to learning you know i think a lot of people are just not conscious yeah of uh and i can be like that sometimes you know i'm just switched off and blunder along and and don't actually notice what's going on for other people
2: yeah uh
1: but it's a lot more fun when you are switched on yeah and looking and you know like the unconference going to that And just observing people, Mm -hmm. you know, and looking at people and going, what is going on here? Because we've got the noise that comes out of people's mouths, but and that can be anything. Mm -hmm. But what comes out of their bodies is far more accurate. Mm -hmm. And what goes into your body is far more accurate Mm -hmm. as well. And uh, receiving, you know, and listening to my body is something I haven't been very good at taking Mm -hmm. notice of. Mm -hmm. And I'm getting better at it now Mm -hmm. of going how am I actually feeling about this mm. rather than what am I thinking? Yeah. Uh, and going, you know, what's happening with my stomach, you know, and, and noticing that stuff. So I think mm. uh, I think there's a whole lot of science there.
0: Yeah. It's about being present as well, isn't yeah. it? Like being aware. Yeah. I know for me, I've, I've noticed if I'm talking in front of a group, For some reason for me and for the group, I think if I start out by presenting and saying, you know um, And I have my hands facing this way and I'm holding them up to towards you right now the palms up It's kind of an open gesture, which is I have nothing to hide I my my hands are open whereas if I do it and I have my arms crossed it's somehow for me and for the audience, it's like a, a barrier, you know, a physical barrier, but so often I see people are, you know, not haven't thought it through, and they're not and connecting. Yeah, they're not connecting. So if
1: you think of this here, what we're doing here, right? Yeah. so this is the most extraordinarily uh, privilege to have you. I've got earphones on and so forth, and mm. you're concentrating on me,
2: mm. right? Mm-hmm.
1: And that is just such a... a, a I was going to use the word delicacy. It's not the right word. But it's such a gift, yeah, right, to have that, you know. And so if this podcast never sees the light of day, mm-hmm. uh, that's okay. Mm. My experience of this so far, I go, this is wonderful. This is yeah. an extraordinary experience.
0: Well, I think because in our current culture, we're so caught up with the next thing and moving yeah. on. And actually what all of us crave is um, connection connection, and and also the the attention of someone else you know we're looking at each other in the eyes and I actually had someone email me the other day and say I'd love to do a podcast with you um, but I'm in another country we could just do it by Skype and actually I have not done so far any interviews over the internet or by Skype every single one has been within one meter, two meters of the person because I love the fact that I'm looking in your eyes right here and we are present. Yeah. And I don't like the idea of the, you know.
1: And and what I learned recently is that uh, Aroha Mm -hmm. is part of the exchange of breath, Mm -hmm. okay? You cannot do that on social media. Mm. You cannot do that Uh, on Zoom or Skype or whatever, right? It just doesn't work. Yeah. And so uh, I think we need to understand just how important Mm. that is, the connection of what can happen when two people actually bother to connect. Yes. And it doesn't have to be just two people. Yeah. But one of the things I learnt recently and one of the gifts of being deaf is that when people talk to me, I lean in. Right. naturally and i'm actually not looking at your eyes Stephen. i look mm. at your mouth but luckily you can't tell the difference right right <laughs> because getting the noise and the lips going together gives me more messages right right i see so so i naturally do that mm. in my teenage years i thought there was something wrong with me because you're brought up to say look people in the eyes and i thought oh i don't do that right i'm looking at their mouth i don't know why i'm doing that why am i looking at their mouth Right? And I look at you, so I'm looking at your eyes now, right? Yeah, yeah, And I feel really uncomfortable because you just went, uh, and I, I, you know, because I don't, I get more yeah, information Yeah, you need to that. see, you need, need to, to see down it. there yeah, as well. Yeah, interesting, yeah. 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 So it was, it was, uh, yeah, the teenage years were, uh, on the whole, they are pretty good, yeah. uh, being away, yeah. uh, but it was in a very, very foreign place, yeah. and I, the school report just invariably said could do better. Yeah. Uh, and... I achieved very little at school, yeah. or so I thought. Uh, and yet, when you go through adversity like that as a 10-year-old, you become, you mature quite quickly. Mm-hmm. And I found myself in a most unusual situation that at the beginning of the sixth form, which is year 12 now, right, uh, I, was, uh, I was made a school prefect a year earlier than... Uh, than I should have been, and I was actually put in charge of a boarding house which was uh, which was a only a small boarding house of maybe a dozen other uh, boys uh, with the idea of grooming me for the next year hmm. uh, My mother was delighted uh, I was mortified because going home there was a whole lot of responsibility and uh, uh, on me to try and keep the family happy and going and so forth and uh, it's the last thing I wanted right. so I, I promptly got myself demoted and uh, uh, that was the end of that yeah yeah we <laughs> back to hiding right yeah
0: interesting yeah it's fascinating what shapes us isn't it mm. you know the the things that looking back you realize these were factors and this is what what it was and
1: and I've resisted leadership all my life right uh, I find leadership to be, Uh, A terrifying thing because Mm. for me it was well if if I'm the only one that's got it together in the family then we're in trouble Mm. and that was that was a reality for me Mm. and so I resisted any form of Mm. leadership position uh, yeah and stayed away from it
0: yeah well I'd love to talk further about sort of where you've come to now (laughs) but just take us a little bit on your journey you know, after high school years, yep. so and look, sort of the, the, what, what happened next.
1: Um, it, it that's. So, it was. Uh, the plan was to either become a landscape gardener, architect. I love landscaping, uh, or become a tennis coach. Um, so I was always good at sport, and uh, I was accepted into a tennis coaching school in Australia, hmm. and I was really keen to go and uh, do that. Um, my sister, uh, her health wasn't great and my parents had to go off to um, the UK to look after her, and for a, a few months. So I um, I was put in charge of a uh, small farm of 300 acres uh, and I'd never really, my father had never wanted me to go farming, uh, and it always pushed me away to do other things. Mm. By the time they cop- came back, I had a a job in Happy shepherding, uh, and I thought this is this is me. I want to have a go at this, and uh, and so I went shepherding, and it was just marvellous. Wow. I just loved the whole. Taihape is a is a magic place. Uh, if people have ever driven through, there, get off the beaten track. Beautiful big valleys. It's mm. like the South Island of the North Island, mm. uh, and I got a job up there shepherding, and it was just magic. Yeah, I met some great friends, and and now, life you know, was good.
0: I I have never met a shepherd before. Oh so really? There you go <laughs> tell me tell me more. Or I've never heard someone. Maybe I've met them, but I didn't know that they were shepherds. But um, tell tell us more about what that actually involves. What is it? What is it to be a shepherd?
1: Well, what it is to be a shepherd. The first thing is to have a team of dogs. Right. Right. And yep. that is the bond you have with your dogs. is yes. just magical. Yeah. Uh, and they are really well bred, mm-hmm. they're really well trained mm-hmm. they uh, they make your your day go either beautifully or not so good right uh, and so you are judged as a shepherd on how good your dogs are. I see uh, you may have a horse, but but the dogs are important, but so I was starting. The, thing, the the crazy thing was, I come from this farming family, but I didn't know anything about farming. Right, and that was a real benefit because I started learning as an eighteen-year-old about farming rather than as a as a kid. Mm. And I developed a really good team of dogs. I was good with stock. I've always had a good work ethic, uh, and uh, I was also incredibly arrogant and self-motivated. <laughs> right, <laughs> and and I had a wonderful mentor uh who i had gone to school with his son a chap by the name of ross herbert uh, who was just a stunning man and he took me under his wing and i learned most of most of my grounding came from him right uh and he was an extraordinary man i'll be you know forever grateful because uh he was he was a a fabulous stockman so so The key with being a stockman is to have a good eye, to know what's going on with the stock. Right. And a lot of observation. Hmm. Right?
0: So there's sort of a theme coming through here. Yeah. Observing people, observing the stock. <laughs> and
1: it's and it's it's um uh and look it's it's you know, an early morning muster with the with the 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 mist rising, you know. And it's just beautiful. Yeah, the sun's coming up, and you've just got these amazing vistas, and you're with your dogs, uh, yeah. and it's great. Yeah. yeah. So
0: it sounds like a shepherd is really judged not just on them as a person; it's the quality of their team, which in that situation is the dogs. How many dogs would you typically have as? a uh,
1: look, depending on the on the property. So I could only manage four dogs at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could. I could run three dogs at a time mm-hmm. uh, and when I got beyond that it all got uh, uh, uncoordinated yeah so a good shepherd uh, you know might run up to f- five or six dogs at a sure. time. Yeah. I never got to that scale. Yeah.
0: and tell me about the bond between you and your dogs like it's it's look it's crazy it's yeah.
1: it's a it's a bizarre uh, it's a bizarre bond. I had this uh my first dog I ever trained Mm -hmm. and they say the first dog you train you know it's just this thing that you're never going to get back again and it's true Uh, so I I got two older dogs and I had this was given this pup and I trained her up and uh, the bond between us was was crazy and Mm. she would get out of her kennel at night and I would wake up in the morning and she'd be asleep at the bottom of my my bed Mm. you know and and uh, they're not pets you know they're there to work for you and mm-hmm. it is a very much a working relationship but the bond is quite extraordinary because mm-hmm. of that uh i think the dependence on each other and uh and it's spread into they love what they do mm-hmm. uh and yeah so it's it's uh yeah it's quite a it's an unusual relationship. An u- I don't think we we're going to be talking about this. this is <laughs>
0: well, that's the thing with this podcast. I go wherever <laughs> I feel like. So yeah, yeah. I d- I've never spoken. Um, can you just describe as well the the gentleman you mentioned, who was the stockman, who you learned so much from? Yeah. What was it about him that was so powerful, or that you learned from? So the looking first, back, the first you know?
1: bond was that when Ross was a young, uh, a young chap who used to deliver, used to drive trucks to the brewery. Ah. And so that's where the connection first came. It was I quite see. random. Yeah. And he knew my uncle, uh, Uncle Bert, and uh, he had a bond with Bert. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. And that's where we started. And then uh, he had a, a farm up in Taupo, and I used to go and stay there uh, a lot. And I'd go and see my friend Michael, but I'd spend all my time with Ross, the father. I see. And, and so he... Uh, he mentored me and he I, I loved him because he was uh, he was interested in a whole range of things mm-hmm. so he'd learn something and he'd get good at it and then he'd drop that and would do something else right. so he learnt um, the art of lapidary which is cutting rocks and mm. polishing rocks and you would sell it as jewellery Right? crazy stuff uh, they were into um, water skiing were fabulous water skiers and, and and they would do a whole range of stuff but he had this way of talking and uh, you'd sit down at the table and I'd I'd have some new idea or whatever and, you know, this went on for years. Mm. And and he'd sit there and he used to roll a cigarette and he had this wrinkled up face and very tanned. Mm-hmm. And, he'd, and he'd sit there and he always mumbled and he'd go, he'd go, yeah, 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 yeah. He'd go, half, 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 half. He said, you're dumber than I thought you were. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was just, he'd go, no, no, I think, he said, yeah, no, no, no. You know, be quiet now, just, and you know. And I was just, uh, what's the word? I was infatuated with him, right? And the way that he didn't follow convention, mm. he did things, whatever he did, it did very well. Uh, he was a he was a dog trialist where mm. they have the competitions. Right. Uh, he'd won a, a New Zealand title, mm. uh, and you know he was a master at that. And so I'd take my dogs from Taipipi. Up to Taupo for the weekend, and he would help me with the training mm-hmm. and so forth. And um, and the guy I worked for wasn't great with dogs, mm-hmm. and I used to get frustrated with that. And Ross go, yeah, 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 yeah. So you <laughs> just get up two hours before him and go to work before he goes to work. And so that's what I'd do. Right. I would go out if we were mustering. I'd go out if we were due to go out at six. I'd go out at four, you know, and wait till it was just light, and then I'd start mustering. Hmm. And it was just a lot easier by myself. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Hmm. What is it that, because some people will have pets who are dogs, and, you know, I'm just really curious to unpack that bond that you're describing between a dog and a human. Like, what is it that, that strengthens it or, or makes it as special as it
1: becomes? Well, you're part of the pack. You're, you're, you are, right. you know, when you've got a pack of dogs, you are the head dog. I see. Right. Yeah. And they, they follow the head dog. Yeah, and so um, you don't abuse that, but that you are part of the pack, mm. and so and they will have a pecking order, mm. uh, and it's it's a very cool thing. So uh, th- the interesting thing is when they're not working, you tie them up, mm. right? So they're either working. Uh, so they when you let them off, they'll play for a quarter of an hour, right? And and they will play have this intense play period, and then they settle down. Uh, and then they come with you to work. Wow!
0: Yeah, yeah. And
1: and you can be with them, you know, ten to sixteen hours in a, in a really long day. Yeah, you know, uh, or sometimes you only work them for one or two hours in a day. Mm. Uh, yeah. So it's it's a, uh, and they're phenomenal athletes. Mm. You know. That's the, that's the other thing Well, so, they're so fast aren't they ah, you
0: know, yeah. you just get in behind this and bring them
1: back yep. and, yeah. and they're all different you know and they've got huge personalities yeah and um uh, yeah it's just a it's a it's a very very special bond yeah yeah, yeah. A very special bond
0: yeah oh that's great and um in terms of the bond with the stock or the the what you're actually mustering yep. like how does that work because the the analogy of a shepherd is sort of you know coming on and caring for. The, the sheep and and things but yeah so you've got
1: you've got you've got two parts of that you've got the stockmanship mm-hmm. which is stockmanship is about feeding it's about the care it's about the planning of the system mm-hmm. it's about um, you know it's a business you're trying to get production and so forth right yeah so you've got all that that uh, part of it and then. Uh, and sometimes you'll get great stockmen who are not very good with dogs. Mm. Right? And so the shifting the stock they'll make, you know, and I ended up being a, a, a really good stockman and average or slightly above average with dogs. Right. Right? And it was something that Ross had, had instilled in me earlier on. Mm. He said, you know, that being a stockman is actually more important than being a great shepherd.
2: Right.
1: And, you know, I've seen people who are just fabulous shepherds but they're no good at stock.
2: Right. right. So it's yeah. a
1: funny, funny dilemma there, yeah. but it is you know the thing with uh, being a farmer uh, is that you just get an enormous joy from creating an environment where stock flourish. Right. Doesn't matter whether it's sheep or cattle or whatever. That's the that's the thing that makes you really. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, really satisfying. Yeah.
0: And you described before going out for like 10-hour days or 16-hour days, like was there moments in the day that were your favorite? Like you kind of hinted before, so the sunrise and the the mist rising and things. But,
1: You know what? They were all different. Yeah. Uh, They were all different. And my last years, yeah, they were all different. Sometimes it was just getting home and having a beer. Yeah. Uh, And the – you know, the – most days with farming, along you do a lot of manual work. Things mm. take a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's low intensity work generally, uh, but you've got to take notice of what's going on. Yeah. Um, so sometimes you know that first thing in the morning, you know, uh, that th- at the end of some days you'd look back and go, it has been an extraordinarily long day because so much happened in it, mm-hmm. so many variety of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, And yeah, that that was quite. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I can admit. Well, and and
1: getting getting organised, you know, it's it's something. The the key was with any day is to be organised. Yeah. uh, And to to be doing things on time, uh, and so forth. And when you got behind on a farm, it was. I'd imagine it's the same being a lawyer, right, yeah, yeah. getting behind in work, yeah. all of a sudden the work's not so much fun, Yeah, <laughs> you know, because you've got deadlines and so forth. So, yeah, but I think my my uh, fondest, one of my fondest memories was the last year of farming, which was about 12 years ago, and I'd got up early in the morning, I was going out to muster an enormous uh, f- uh, flock of sheep, and it was a large property, I was, uh, I was a CEO of a farming company, and I'd said to the team, I'll go out and start, And it was just one of those things that everything went well. I only had three dogs. Mm -hmm. And there should have been about three people with maybe ten dogs getting this mob in. And we all had radios at that stage.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And at about uh, quarter to six, I radioed the team and I said, this is going really well, stay away. Hmm. right? Because they were coming in a direction that would disturb this this mob. Right. And so the mob in total would have been, there were 3,000 ewes with lambs at foot, so maybe another... Uh, so maybe eight thousand sheep in the in the mob right oh, uh, wow. and and spread over a big area and coming together and they were just all moving uh stunningly in this one direction right and I got them in uh into the yards and the laneway with these three dogs and uh it was just a wonderful feeling because it wasn't mm. you know and yeah, it was. It was, and I thought that I'm co- I'm really cool to finish on this. Right. On this. On this <laughs> finish uh, on the highlight. On the, finish on the highlight. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah.
0: yeah. So you ended up, um, as well as the shepherding, it sounds like you got quite involved in farming over yeah, the so years. I, then,
1: yeah. I, even though my father um, didn't want me to go farming, yeah, I, I went off to Lincoln. I had 18 months in Thai happy. Okay. Uh, I went off to Lincoln, did a diploma. Mm. Uh, my father's health had. Uh, collapsed at that point, yeah. and uh, the farm was either going to be sold. Uh, the banks were pretty grumpy, or I had to go home. So at mm-hmm. the age of twenty, uh, I went home. Uh, I stayed there um, for twelve years, and I, you know, did a whole bunch of stuff. And and mm-hmm. uh, I then bought and sold farms to get capital together. So I sold that farm in Mangotaroka, and I went up to Northland never been there before I uh, bought um, 800 hectares, so 2,000 acres up there, very wow. remote. Mm. Uh, uh, that was pretty tough on the family. I had a young family at that stage. Mm. Isolated, we were um, a long way from town and the forestry companies were coming in buying land and so forth and mm. we sold that after a couple of years. and. Um, and at that point, that's where my life sort of changed from... It was my way out of farming. So I would got interested at that stage in a range of other things. And I'd always had people around me who were not involved in farming. Mm. And I'd always been interested in other things beside farming. And I had a, a brother-in-law... Who married my older sister he was into marketing uh, and all his mates were into marketing and mm-hmm. so that was an influence uh, earlier on I um, so I always had this interest in other things mm. and, and at that time uh, we were farming some cashmere goats uh, the price of cashmere plummeted uh, got together with some other farmers and said well why don't we buy up this cashmere that's gone to under 30% of what it was worth before, and why don't we go and uh, set up a company and actually make cashmere garments? Mm. Uh, And a group of us did that, and it went really well, uh, and it actually went from a private company to a public company, and we were selling the knitwear to the inbound Japanese market. Mm. Uh, So that was a a great stretch, and I really enjoyed that, and Mm. working with... Uh, you know that was kind of fun mm-hmm. uh, I was also involved in a consultancy business that um, sort of had the opportunity when this company had tipped over for a number of reasons and a number of us got in behind it and, and put capital into it and went in as directors and uh, we resurrected that company and that became very successful Right. Um, and yeah there were a few other mm. things on the sideline and but it was the It was the Kashmir company that was just a fabulous learning experience because by the uh, when we sold the farm in Northland, Mm -hmm. the board actually asked me to go in and manage the company.
2: Mm.
1: And by that stage, the Asian crisis, economic crisis had kicked in. Mm -hmm. The Japanese were still coming to New Zealand, but they weren't buying our garments. And uh, and they were expensive.
2: Mm.
1: And so at that point... Um, uh, I accepted the challenge of going in there as managing director, they gave me a marketing plan, Uh, I then uh, went round the country and looked in the stores and I valued the stock and went to the warehouse and valued the stock there and wrote a handwritten report sent off on a fax machine out of a warehouse here in Christchurch to directors who are pretty high calibre directors saying, I think we are trading while insolvent, and I offer my resignation because I cannot I cannot uh, fulfil this marketing plan that you've given me. I don't mm. have the skill to do this. Yeah. I've got no idea. And when you're a public company trading while you're insolvent, it's just not a great thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and at that stage, I've taken time out of farming. Uh, all hell broke loose. And... Uh, Anyway, um, we, I, I then uh, took over the. I, I then started an internal receivership, which took eighteen months, Right. and very proud to say nobody sued us through that time. Uh, we paid most of the people back. The mm. shareholders got nothing, and I came out with my reputation intact and learnt a lot about business through that period. Mm. Uh, and was totally exhausted by the end of
0: it. Yeah. So you've come from sort of a farming background and being a shepherd mustering the sheep yes. and things into a very different corporate sort of world. I'd love to talk a little bit about collective intelligence and sort of how you got to that point. Well, um, it's, tie-
1: so, it's tied in with a story. Because right. I was... I was uh, Initially, I was a director of uh, Cloud9 Kashmir, it was called. I was a director of this consulting business. Mm-hmm. And... So I was was 34, I think, at the time, and I was young as a director. And I'd got there because I'd done some stuff that had gone okay. Mm -hmm. I'd got my timing right by chance, by luck, and they thought I was clever. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I got (laughs) off of these directorships. They found out in time I wasn't, and that was was (laughs) fine. But I wasn't a very good director because I wasn't so much interested in looking after the stakeholders. I was more interested in looking after the key people. And I was really concerned... Uh, what I saw was CEOs and key people working really hard. uh, The world's getting smaller. And as long as they were hitting their KPIs, everybody's happy. Right. But I could sense that their lives, that they weren't expanding professionally and that they weren't... uh, A lot of the times their health wasn't great, even though they weren't that old, their marriages weren't great, they weren't seeing enough of their kids. And... Sending them off to seminars wasn't doing anything. Mm. And I thought, how can we actually mm. uh, help these people grow, their, mm. grow their, uh, their worlds and their mindsets and so forth? So I copied a thing called a farm discussion group, which is a model that's used by lots of farmers. So I took that model. And I copied it. Mm-hmm. Very good thief. I love stealing things. Right. And going, good ideas. Oh, take that and, and take that and use it <laughs> over there so those those work because farmers don't compete with each other okay and so i thought well i'm going to set up a non-competitive business group I and see. i'm going to get people from different backgrounds so i set up a group uh, coerced about eight people i sort of knew and people i didn't know mm. set a date and said right we're going to come together in the central point and we're going to work out see if this thing's going to work
2: yeah
1: and so they all not all but Eight of them said, yes, we'll do that. And they were turning up to Palmerston North of all places mm-hmm. and uh, for the thing. And two weeks out, I've been looking for facilitators to run it. And I'd say, so what's the program? I go, well, there's, um, no, there's no program. Well, what, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm not sure. We're just going to follow these people and we're going to see what we can develop. And lo and behold, I couldn't get any facilitators. And and uh, the guy I wanted um, is a stunning facilitator, Johnny Islop. And he said his words were, uh, am I allowed to use a naughty word on this?
0: Uh, it's better if not. Okay, I, so I'll just bleep it out.
1: So <laughs> but he said, "Have these guys are going to be a naughty word. And he said, you're a naughty word. <laughs> you run it, right? So, so I went, okay. So he gave me two hours training. Right. And I became a facilitator. Okay. <laughs> and uh, the most nervous morning of my life. I can still hear them coming up these metal stairs mm-hmm. and I'm in the toilet dry reaching and I'm thinking, what am I doing this for? I don't even need to do this. Mm. Uh, two things happened. One, I just stepped in and said, um, look, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm just going to try and respond to you. Mm-hmm. And they were sort of okay with that. And I said, I don't know where this is going to go, and, um, but let's, let's see what happens. Mm. And the other one was I was a bit rough around the edges and they kind of liked that. And, and uh, the informality of it, they they responded to. Mm. And that was, so that was kind of cool. Mm. So they were the two things. That group stayed together for seven years wow. and went to places that I never envisaged and it was just a, a huge privilege to for them to accept me and I sort of developed a bit as a facilitator mm-hmm. and the, the, the issues were about 80% common. Mm-hmm. I did have one... Def- a couple of defining moments, but one in particular was we had um, the most experienced person on the team was a, was a woman. She was an accountant with one of the, one of the big firms. Uh, and I copied the farm discussion model where they went to each other's businesses and looked at that. And initially, we looked at the safe stuff. We looked at the numbers and all that sort of carry on. Yeah. And I went to this woman's business, and I said, so what are we going to look at? you know? And she said, well, half. what's it all about? And I said, what's what all about? She said, well, life. I went, what? <laughs> and she said, I'm 55. I've got to where I want to go, and it sucks. Hmm. I said, does it? She goes, yeah, I want, to, I want to look at that. I want to look at where my life's going. Wow. And I went, oh. So I actually got a proper facilitator in to help me that day. Uh, and uh, she came in, and we went to places we'd never been before. And the group never looked back, and they never and we realized that there were two parts: there was the numbers, mm. and then there was the real stuff, which was almost always my interest anyway that's the irony I just didn't know how to get there,
2: right,
1: which was the pastoral care and the the human being mm. and it was this woman who I'll be eternally grateful for had the guts to put up a hand and go,
2: mm.
1: "We need to go here, I want to go there and So that model, that model... um, Because
0: those are the conversations that we just don't have, right? They're the conversations that everyone skirts over and I'm fine. And in that situation, I'm 55. I've made it basically. I'll retire soon. Looks great. And, um, you know, yay. (laughs) But actually underlying it, there's these deeper questions, which is, you know... And what was interesting,
1: the outcome of that meeting... The outcome of that meeting was was profound because mm. her life changed. Mm. she changed a whole lot of things. she stayed in the profession but did it in a whole different way right so you know and it was just yeah. like, man, that is brave yeah. and and she carried on and had a a very industrious career from then on. I see you know I've been great up until then, but it was just yeah, she just blossomed after that. Yeah, and because
0: she got she got a sense of purpose. Probably yeah, in and it. she yeah. she
1: went. This is this is what I want to do. Yeah. Um, where before she was just going for this sort of target. Yeah, thing.
0: yeah. So how does because I can sort of see where we're going, but how does just tie it together for us in terms of collective intelligence? Because so I'd love to. I was so look.
1: I was still I was still farming then. Okay, right. so I was still farming. It came apart after seven years because I was too busy mm. uh, farming. I had my own farm. Uh, back in the manor or two, I was looking after some corporate farms as a CEO, and I was just too stretched mm-hmm. uh, and had teenage children all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, But it seeded an idea, what would happen if we did this properly? Right. Because it was just me by myself. So 11 and a half years ago, I set up Collective in, uh, collective Intelligence,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I, I thought, went through the same uncertainty. Maybe it's not relevant anymore, mm. you know. I set set up once again, focused on business only. Now and just targeted people I knew. Mm-hmm. Got some groups together, and I facilitated. I did everything, and away we went. And where it's evolved to now is that a couple of pivotal things happened. Uh, so it was 100% focus driven. It was the same format of teams coming together to help each other
2: mm-hmm.
1: with their business and with each other. Right. Uh, and fundamentally, that hasn't changed. It is a phenomenally simple model. Mm-hmm. But where it's got really complex is that somebody put forward a school principal and I turned him down. And I thought, no, a school principal doesn't fit in a business environment. And somebody else put the same guy forward. I thought, oh, maybe I'm missing something here. So mm-hmm. I went and interviewed him. And uh, the irony is, he's one of the more high profile. Principals in New Zealand now, which is classic because I turned them down. But <laughs> uh, I went and I went uh, uh, talked to him, and uh, he was at Palmerston North Boys High at that stage. And his name's Tim O'Connor. And, I, and sat down with Tim. I said, Tim, there was a book in his library called Good to Great from Jim Collins, and mm. I said, Tim, have you ever read that thing? And he said, This is my Bible. I run the school off this Bible, and we'd studied this book before. Mm. And he pulled it out, and there were bookmarks all through. And I said, Okay, all right, let's give you a go. Mm. Now. Tim just brought a whole lot of skills that the entrepreneurs and business people didn't have. Interesting. In a whole different angle. Yeah. And that just broke up all my thinking. Mm. And I started thinking, well, hang on, who is this for? Mm. And why bring in this different element? How does that work? And why, does it, why, it's so, why is it so powerful? Mm. And you also asked really naive questions at times, but from a really competent place. So coming forward to the present day, we now cover 70 to 72 industries and professions. Okay. And we have learnt the more diversity you put into a team, the better everything goes. I see. If you've got the right environment. Mm. So now... We know who we want initially. I took anybody. I would have taken you, Stephen. Mm, you know, mm. shocking. <laughs> but we would have taken anybody yep. um, to get the numbers going. That's the right, typical thing. Yeah. And then I became really interested in why is it working for this person and it's not working for this person? What is the difference? Mm. And it took me about nine months to work out the the gaps. So collective intelligence we've worked out is for people with four things. They need to be competent. And competence is important because when you're with a bunch of strangers from different industries, mm. the quality of your questions, even though they're naive, is still stronger. It's mm. still a better question, mm-hmm. and it's really important to have that. The second one is you need to be ambitious to develop as a human being. And we had people initially who loved the process, are great people, but actually they didn't want to develop. Mm-hmm. Right, so that's a really important thing is to have the guts, to have a go, stumble, to have, you know, to do what you want to do. The third one was interesting, it was around curiosity. Mm. So, and it's not just about being curious about the big wide world, it's about being curious about your teammates who are going to be different to you Mm. because it's not for like minded people. We don't believe in that. So to be curious about people who are not like you and get interested in their viewpoint,
2: mm.
1: right? And the other one's getting really curious about your own functioning, right? Mm. And because, you know what, we, we have all got stuff in there that holds us back. Mm. And we've also got talents that we don't use enough. Mm. And, you know, encourage people to get really interested in themselves mm. and getting curious about that. And then the fourth one is authenticity, So that is profoundly important because uh, people get pushed hard within the teams and authentic people just represent themselves more accurately. Mm. So we're not about looking good. We're not about perfect people because they don't exist. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we are not there to look good. So the authenticity Mm. is is that, if I could pick one, it would be that that one thing. But we want people to... For those four things to resonate, they don't have to be 10 out of 10 on them,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: but they also need to be um, committed to lifting those four things as well.
0: Yeah. Well, that's fascinating because I've observed, having interviewed many people on this podcast now, um, oftentimes people end up in silos talking with people who already think the same way they do. And it's kind of natural, you know, like I work as a lawyer, so I Meet lawyers, and that person's an engineer. So they talk to other engineers, and the the cross fertilization that can happen across industries and sectors. I actually interviewed someone named Franco Bulo, who uh, and we talked about this topic of what we need to do is actually mash mash up the um, the labels and and have an environmental social scientist sitting with an accountant who's sitting next to a you know criminologist or whatever. Because that's where you get the true cross diversity of thought, isn't it?
1: If you've got the environment, right. so the other piece there is that we so we put a lot of effort into designing the teams, right? Uh, and yeah, I, I I obsess over this. Right, I'm fascinated with it, mm. and and it's pretty random because it's diversity, and so it's not an exact science. Mm. The other thing we've learned, so we've got a scholarship program and we've had some stunning scholarships coming through and we've got some stunning young people there now. Mm. And and that was something. So we, we love trying different things. We experiment all the time, try stuff. The scholarship program, our youngest member I think is 22. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to a 20-year-old in a few weeks' time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that has been, on the whole, about 80% successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they add a whole different... View, and they are treated the same as everybody else. So mm. what we're not into was not into hierarchy. Mm. We're not into status. Status is an interesting thing, Stephen. Status mm. absolutely holds people back. Mm. Because when you attain some sort of a status and you connect with it, you'll use it as a facade. And we've seen that. With lots of people will mm. come in with this facade and the teams go when a new member turns up, they go, Leave the ego at the door. Right. There is no place in here for the ego. Yeah, yeah. And people go, Yeah, no, it's all right, but then they they will bring something in to protect themselves. Mm. So Which uh,
0: sometimes can be hiding behind titles, right? Like yes. what's your position within or, the organization? Or or
1: also scared going they might find out that I actually don't know what I'm about. Right. right. There's all sorts of stuff going on there. Yeah. Sometimes it's been it comes through from childhood or whatever. But they are a huge barrier to progress. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: Whatever whatever they are, they're a huge barrier. Yeah. So we work hard on creating a really safe space, mm-hmm. uh, and the diversity is interesting as long as you've got the environment that you can actually utilize it. Right. Because if you don't. The diversity doesn't work. Mm. Diversity doesn't just, you know, it's having the combination.
0: I yeah, guess it's back to that facilitation as well, isn't it? And, and, and having the observational skills to say you had a question. and um, right. and And, 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 and I, I, encourage look, it. I,
1: I'm very proud to say that if I turned up now uh, for a job interview as a facilitator, I wouldn't get employed with collective intelligence. Right. <laughs> so, we, so we've got a team of seven stunning facilitators, mm-hmm. different backgrounds, different uh, different areas of expertise, mm-hmm. uh, and they love the work they do with us because they get to work with people who want to be there mm-hmm. and they get to work with them for years. So our average member stays with us for seven years, and I think that's a key point, mm-hmm. that we're an evolutionary process.
2: Right.
1: We're not into transformation, that happens from time to time. People have an epiphany, and that's cool. Mm. But evolution is a really safe thing, and it's sticky. Mm. So, you know, I, I talk very basically there's two sorts of changes. There's technical change and there's adaptive change. Mm. So technical change is here's the plan, right? Well, bingo, there's no addicts in the world. There's no mm. obesity. There's no alcoholics because mm. this is what you do, mm. right? Adaptive change is a difficult one. What gets in the way? Mm. And that's the area that we deal with with individuals because we believe um so the business is is our business is about working with people Mm. and we are fascinated with people and we love people Mm. and we love people who are out there in the world making things happen Mm. uh and we've done some research uh recently because it's interesting we are a social enterprise Mm. When I started, I'd never heard the term. Mm. And I heard this term, social entrepreneur, and so I thought, not what they are. What are
0: they talking about? What are they? What's that?
1: <laughs> and it was when I met Alex Hannant, mm-hmm. and, and, Alex, and he said, well, have, you know, you're sort of a social entrepreneur. I went, really? am I? Really? Am I? <laughs> so, uh, and, and we are a business. Uh, we are there to make a profit, and we measure our impact. Mm. And we've done that a number of times. And I had this conversation with somebody today, actually, about the, uh, I think measuring impact, one of the most important things is actually observing. Because, yes, you can get the metrics and so forth, but the farmer and me, we never accepted any numbers unless it actually made sense. Right. And so, for me, observation is really important. Mm. What is actually happening? And the facilitators are awesome at that, at monitoring what's going on. And uh, and so what, what we've, with the impact uh, results we, we, we did with Otago Polytech, um, Steve Henry did them for us,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the common thing that they were surprised across all the sectors was that 90%, and I actually believe the figure's more than that because some people filled it out, only been to one meeting, but 90% of our members came back and said that they became pro- professionally and personally more effective in their lives. Mm. and we've had that data come back from two different segments now. Mm. So that's kind of interesting. Now, that means something different for everybody, and we're okay with that. Right. Because dealing with the diversity that we've now got, it's made – we've got to make sure we don't become experts in anything because if we became experts in something, we would stifle the model.
0: Mm.
1: So for the first six years – I didn't tell people that I used to be a farmer because it didn't make sense. And then the last few years, I've realized it does. Because the thing with farmers, this whole model is designed to work, Mm. to make an impact. And farmers get turned on by things that work. Mm. right? They Mm. just love... What's the results? What's the result, right? And so if you want to sell a farmer something, show them the results or Mm -hmm. hear the results... And I go, okay, now we're talking. Mm. So this is designed to work. Mm. Uh, yeah.
2: Mm.
1: No,
0: that's, that's great. Well, there's so many ways, uh, so many other things that we could talk about. Like just to pick up on a couple, you mentioned about curiosity being a big ingredient. And I think that's so important in this podcast when I'm talking with people. I try to use that language of curiosity. So I'll often phrase my question as I'm just curious and then put the question and the reason is what I'm hoping is that the listeners are actually absorbing that phrasing because if we can be curious about each other and other people and shepherding, you know, like if we can ask those questions, it unlocks a different world, doesn't it? And so I love that that part being a core value is curiosity yeah
1: and yeah. and it's 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 interesting because uh uh you know another another word is is wonder mm. and i love the word wonder because mm. it brings in some childhood
2: mm-hmm.
1: in there right yep. and we make a fatal mistake as we get older or we'll start taking ourselves too seriously yes All right, <laughs> and and start thinking that you know we're important or yep. whatever and it's complete nonsense yeah and Actually being able to keep the wonder alive is so important mm. of what is possible. Mm. And we need wonder in our lives now because we need to sort some some problems out. Yes. <laughs> and we're not going to get there by being staunch. Mm. We need to be really clever with this. Yeah. Uh,
0: no, I hear you for sure. I, I interviewed a 10-year-old about being 10, and this was some of my my questioning is what do you think adults forget when they grow up and um well partly she was saying they work too much which i agree with (laughs) Uh, but also she was saying you know just the, just that it's uh, i won't get the phrasing exactly right but it's just amazing you know like the world is a great place it's fun to discover and i think we do get into how much is my mortgage and i've got to pay off the insurance on the car and oh no this has happened like we lose that sense of being alive yes. is a privilege
1: yes yes absolutely yeah. absolutely and and you know it's it's i suffer from from taking my world too seriously sometimes yeah you know and i lose i lose uh, the whole you know um i'm trying to find the word but it, yeah i lose perspective yeah on things right yeah. and i think and when i get tired and run down I treat everything as important mm. you know and it's just like and then when i freshen up i think oh what yeah you
0: know, why was i focused on that? why was i why was i that, waking up at 3 a.m about why was that? i thinking that was so important <laughs> and yeah. you know
1: the, the the thing that i just i i absolutely love about what we do is when you see people develop it is just the most stunning thing mm. and I always enjoyed coaching uh, coaching mm. sport more than playing sport. Right. Uh, and we don't coach, but when you see people develop and you just go, it's such a wonderful thing to break through a mindset or a paradigm or whatever, or learn something new and go, I can do that. Yeah. You know, and, and lift it, have a different horizon. And you see the diversity working, which is really random. And, you know, I had one chap. After meeting, he said, you know what, I thought I was uh, in a tough spot, but I've got a different perspective now, haven't I? Yeah, (laughs) right. And, and, yeah, so – and I also think that we need to learn to have conversations with people that we don't agree with Mm -hmm. and to stay with the conversation without trying to get them to agree with us Mm -hmm. because – Somewhere in that dialogue, which is different than a conversation, mm. uh, so often we want to go, Stephen. I've got a view, you know. I've got a viewpoint here, and I want you to take this viewpoint on and agree yeah. with me, All right? And it's so not productive. Yeah. And you know, often new members will go, will go. I don't quite know what I got out of the meeting. I go, yeah. You've got some work to do. Mm. You know, you need to, to dig into that, mm. because I don't agree with everything was being said. I said that's cool, yeah. that's great,
0: which is so important in in current climate when we look at politics and just the the narrative that we're completely right and you're completely yes. wrong. You know, it's there's no thing. there's no ability like, and I often think you know sometimes you look at politics and you think if that if you thought. That person who just said that was from your team you would agree with what they said you know what i mean it's like but because of the label or whatever it's like well that's i completely in particular i'm speaking more in american politics yes. you know that it's but it can happen you're either Zealand. this or that it can it yeah can it can happen, happen everywhere look and,
1: i i had i had a, a fascinating experience when i was uh early on in my on my farming career and National had got voted out and Labour were in and we had David Long in there and mm. and it was it was I lived in Pyotura. We were Keith Holyoke, we were national as you could be, mm. right? And and there was an emergency meeting of the of the national party people and I got invited along. I'm not sure why, but went along because I was a farmer. I must be a national supporter and right. And uh, went along there and, and the farmers were sitting around and they said, you know, this is just a terrible thing and Labour in and, you know, what are we to do? And they turned to me and I'm not sure how old I was, maybe twenty four or five or something. They said and they said, Now Ian, you know, your thoughts on this you must be quite disturbed. And I said, Well, I voted for Long <laughs> and I there was deathly hush. Right. You know, you would have thought I'd murdered one of your children.
2: <laughs> yeah. Went what?
1: And I said, "Well, this whole subsidy thing, eight hundred million dollars a year." I said, I, "I'm not sure that's good for us." And it was just they looked at me as much as I was, and you know, I was, I was ignored for the rest of the right. rest of the meeting. But it was it was profound, yeah. profound. Yeah. yeah. So I was sort of yeah. But I'm really interested if we could learn, you know, have the ability to learn how to engage better with people Mm. who are not like us, uh, it's so much richer. And, you know, I I believe that uh, New Zealand has got the opportunity and needs to understand the responsibility Mm. to demonstrate uh, that we can be such an adaptable country Mm. and we can do things that other countries can't do. Mm. And we need to understand that responsibility and, and take that on and this model... Uh, of collective intelligence, I absolutely believe, and can help with that, mm. speeding up the process of ad- of adapting uh, and bringing in new ideas, mm. uh, and the cross pollination is profoundly important. Mm. And we know we break down barriers, and there are barriers everywhere. There's barriers everywhere mm. between industries, you know, between politics, between people and within the people there's barriers there mm. and you start taking those barriers down and it's amazing what can come from that mm. uh, and and so what have we got to give up for that to happen
0: mm.
1: and what have we got to unlearn for that to happen Yeah. Uh, and what have we got to allow into the space with us for that to happen mm. and that's always intrigues me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, you and I know the answer to all those questions, of course. Do we? Do <laughs> we? <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, no, I think it's great um, to leave those out there and, and challenge people to think about it. I agree with you completely. New Zealand's a great testing Oh, no, place, you're, you're not supposed you know. to agree with me. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I disagree with you. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's good. Um, and if people want to find out more, um, what's the best place? Is it a website or Yep, so the website
1: is is yep. uh, is uh, www.collectiveintelligence.co.nz. Okay. Uh, you can contact me via the website, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it's 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 uh, we love hearing from people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is designed for anybody that can express those four attributes. Yeah and at the moment you know i interviewed a woman this morning to come on board uh she's 75
2: Hmm.
1: looking to start yeah and she said i'm just not i'm I'm not sure that i've got anything to offer and i said you've got 75 years of experience Mm -hmm. and uh you're running a business uh and you've brought up a fabulous family you've had a great marriage i said that's gold yeah so we are big believers in, in mm. inclusiveness, mm-hmm. uh, and I look from when it started 25 years ago with the idea, it was all white people, mm-hmm. it was predominantly male, uh, they were all in sort of 30s to 40s, 50s, and I look now and, you know, it's it's exciting to see the young people coming forward, having a voice, mm-hmm. uh, you know, through to 75-year-old. Mm-hmm. Uh And it's been interesting for me, the big learning is the different cultures coming in. Mm -hmm. And the biggest impact we've had from the cultures from Maori because they understand the space. Right. They understand it naturally. They understand the hui. Uh, And Mm -hmm. that was just an enormous impact that Mm -hmm. came in uh, into the fold. And whenever we've had um, Maori involved in teams, the Mm -hmm. whole uh, richness of the conversations goes up mm. uh, and you know i love the culture i love the people i don't speak the lingo i don't mm. speak their language mm. uh, i tried to in 1992 i went off to do classes and i'm um, i'm being taught again slowly now mm. but the pitch of the i cannot get the pitch and i get embarrassed when i try and right. pronounce yeah. it back yeah sure uh, <laughs> and we've now got somebody in the in the office that is learning uh, fluent uh, te rau, which mm. is fabulous. Mm. And so she's teaching me a little bit of oh, good. a day. So, yeah.
0: So yeah. Well, what we'll do is um, in the show notes, if people click through, there will be a little description about our conversation and we can put links. Cool. So if there's any links you want to include, just send them to me and we'll, we'll spl- slot them in there. Um, but I just want to say thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a really rich conversation ranging from your childhood and, you know, all of the experiences that have led you to what you're doing today. And the thing I love about the podcast is that, you know, if I'd just come in and said, tell me about collective intelligence, it would have been a much shorter version, <laughs> but we wouldn't have had the depths of going, oh, okay. Even even the shepherding and, you know, the connection with the dogs and the, um, you know, the body language conversation that we had, it feels to me like that all is wrapped up in sort of what you're now involved in and in doing. So that yeah, was And, and Stephen,
1: this is was never where I expected to be. Right. You know, I'm in my 60th year now, mm. and this was not part of the plan. Mm. Uh, and I'm in a, um, I am I feel incredibly blessed to be working with a whole range of wonderful people. Mm. Yeah, Yeah. that's so great. So thank, thank you for uh, – this has been a privilege to – yeah, no,
0: definitely. Well, I agree what you said, you know, the in-person, the, the, um, the conversation is so important. And we were at a lunch yesterday where there was about 30 or so people having those sorts of deeper conversations, which, yeah, any time we can facilitate that, right, that's, that's where the, the opening of the door begins.
1: And, so. and I was saying to some people today, um, you know, Christchurch has faced – a huge adversity mm. in the last eight years, mm. and it is showing the wonderful, uh, wonderful signs of, of that's come from that. I yeah. think Christchurch is—it's uh, a really exciting place. Yeah, uh, yeah. as a result. Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, now let's go get in the car, and we'll get you out to the airport. Cool. All right. Thank okay. you. <laughs> thank you, Stephen. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation. I really enjoyed my chat with Harv and just hearing his perspective on life, particularly those insights around body language and how there's so much that's communicated without using words. But I also loved hearing about his life as a shepherd and the communication with the dogs that he had trained, and then also looking at collective intelligence and that initiative and finding out a bit more about that. Have a look at the show notes to see more. And if you do enjoy this episode, then consider checking out some of the more than 100 other episodes. There's also a Facebook page, a Twitter page, and a website at www.theseeds.nz. Until next time!